0: Welcome to the Our Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. I hope you can kind of see some of, um, some of the underlying stuff that you might not have seen in Romans before, of the antagonizing of where people are coming from. Because a lot of times, if we're honest, we, 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 we're Christians, you know, so we, we're not coming from exactly the same place as this group would have been. Um, but actually, if we're also equally honest, we probably have some of the same similarities, oftentimes Christians can be quite proud about where they're at and what they put their faith in and oftentimes Christians put their faith in well we're the Christians and they're not so we're the favored ones and they're not or they put their faith in um, well I do the right thing so I go to church every Sunday or I pray or I did this or I said the right prayer or you know we often put stock in certain things and so I think Paul equally at this point is, is still jabbing us as well at times and saying hey how are you viewing the people on the out how are you Are you putting yourself up on a pedestal and and lowering people around you to try and make yourself feel better or more included or more godly or whatever it might be? Um, But now, so we've talked a bit about um, what uh, some of those principles of what was in, what was out. Um, Was it about your works and what you did? Um, Is it about your faith? And then, if it is about your faith, well, what is faith, and how much faith do you need? Um, And so, we kind of challenged some of those things. I wanna talk a bit about sin because Paul really kind of pops this one up in Romans 5. And and sin was, um, it was a big deal to Israel, right? I mean, you read through the Old Testament, it's brought up every now and again, (laughs) each page, Um, you know, sin was a big deal and they they understood the gravity of sin. Like you read through the laws and you realize like, do you know that in the laws there were, I can't remember exactly, I think, if I remember rightly in Deuteronomy, there are 13 blessings that will come on you if you do all of the laws right there's 67 curses that god will put on you if you don't if you mess up one of them right i mean so there was big consequences to sin there was big consequences to messing up there was big consequences to having sin in your life and, and so jews very much understood sin but they also understood like sacrifice could cover it and all these different elements but they understood sin is a big deal and that's why they would look around at the people around them and they would think well yeah we sin. But we sin much less because we've got the right rules and the right laws. But also, when we do sin, we've got the, the covering. We can send the priesthood before us to do a sacrifice, to offer up an, uh, a sacrifice to God. And we can do this and we can do that. And we can pray and petition God. And you know, So they had all their different things that maybe made sin less of an issue for them. But they knew sin was a thing you did that screwed up everything. Um, and so when we approach Romans 5, it's quite interesting because what Paul's going to do here is he's going to start to deconstruct sin as Jewish people um, would have saw it. And so I'll just read through again Romans 5. I'm going to kind of fly through the first part because it's not um, as relevant to what I'm, what I'm going to say here. Um, but... it's it's kind of relevant and it's a bridge between what we're talking about faith and then talking about sin and so therefore since we've been justified by faith we have peace with god knowing that our lord that uh, through our lord jesus christ through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of god not only that but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because god's love has been poured into our hearts through the holy spirit who's been given to us and so kind of encapsulating that faith and saying look that faith is powerful that faith is deep like just saying okay to what god's saying gives us strength to get through a whole Excuse me, a whole bunch of stuff. It doesn't just give us a salvation. It gives us a hope in suffering, in pain, in in hardships. It allows us to develop character and grow and and build um, in that place. And then he, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good one one would dare to die. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So this is, the, to be honest with you, Romans 5 is one of the most complex passages. Um, it gets way more complex in the next couple of verses. Um, but what he's saying here is he's kind of introducing the concept of Jesus saving, of Jesus reconciling, of Jesus making it right uh, and making God right with sinners, these people that are at odds with God, ungodly people. He's saying, look, if you need proof that um, God's okay with uh, sinful people. Have a look at Jesus, who died for you when you were at your worst. You know, like since then you've become a lot better. You've grown. You've become more righteous, more godly. You act more um, in line with what the law says. If if you think um, that God loves you now, like uh, uh, think back to when He died for you. He died for you when you were at your worst, and actually He died for the worst. He died for completely ungodly people. Um, and so he goes on and he says, look, just as sin came into the world. And what he's, what he's wanting to do here, I, I, this is how I see it. It's quite a, a weird link, to be honest with you. It's, it's hard to kind of break down quickly in a in a short session as well. But what he's wanting to do here is I think he wants to break down the concept of a sinner is someone that does something wrong and then needs to fix it versus um, and a righteous person is someone that does something right and we'll be blessed for it. Um, and I think he wants to create a whole new construct. And you'll see that in the next passage. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Bear with me, this is tough, but I'll explain it in a sec yet death reigned from adam to moses even though over those who were who sinning was not like the transgression of adam who was a type of the one who was to come super weird like complex you're like wait what what it was not like this and it was like that and what he says here is he says look sin came to the world through one man okay who adam right so adam and eve screwed up and sin came into the world fairly obvious, right? We understand that. Adam did a sin. He he messed up. Um, And he says, but so death then spreads to all men. So because all, uh, I'm getting this right. I want to make sure I'm building the same argument. Um, So sin came in through Adam. And then because of Adam, sin spread out to all men and death comes through sin. So Adam died because he sinned. But because all sinned, all died. But then he says, "Sin is counted against you because you break the law, right? When you break the law, you sin. When you do the law, you're you're righteous." He says, "The problem is that it's not counted against you if you don't know the law. Like if you don't know that law, it's not counted as a sin. If because you couldn't break the law." He says, "So the problem is there was a law, but the law came way after Adam." He says, "So." If the cost of sin is death, it's really complex, right? The cost of sin is death. So when you sin, you're going to die. But you couldn't sin until there was a law. How did everyone after Adam die? Because Adam, there was a rule. Don't eat the apple. So he ate the apple and that's the rule. He, He sinned. He broke a law and then he died. But it says, but then everyone between Adam and Moses, before the law was given still died how that's his question because they didn't sin like Adam right so they didn't have the same sin as Adam so how did they end up dead because they didn't break any laws and what's his point here his point is saying sin is much deeper than breaking a rule there's much more going on here than if you break a rule because we could say yeah okay everyone after the law they broke rules because no one's ever kept the law perfectly so they've died because they broke a rule but everyone between Moses and Adam, they all died as well, and they didn't break any rules. There was no rules to break. Because the tree, you couldn't eat the tree anymore. The, the um, garden was blocked, right? So he goes on and he says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Let's stop there, because I think we probably need to go back to that beginning part and just kind of hammer home what he's saying here. But what Paul's saying here is he's saying sin is deeper than what you do. And actually, if you look at um, the word sin in Romans, it's quite interesting. So the Greek word, um, it's said as an action, as something you do. So in, in, in the book of Romans, it's mentioned 42 times sin, 42 times, okay? The amount of times it's mentioned is something you do twice, which is fascinating to me because like I grew up in the church and I think of the word sin and I don't think of anything other than something you do, right? I'm like, sin is something you do. You do something wrong, that's a sin. But actually 40 of those 42 times is not something you do. It's a state of being. It is being sin, which is fascinating and this is where um, a lot of um, evangelicals a lot of calvinists a lot of um, fundamental christians would get the idea of original sin this this concept of when adam fell everyone became a sinner like deep down they became sinful and that was it they were rotten to the core and I think there's truth in that. Like, I think there's something that Paul's developing in that that he's saying, look, when Adam sinned, it wasn't that other people kept doing a sin. They kept breaking a law. It was that something broke in humanity. Humanity shifted away from God. They started disobeying God. They started walking away from God. And that was a a terrible place to be. It was a sinful place to be. Um, I don't think it means that inherently we're evil. Um, I, I think you're very hard pressed to say that people are inherently evil. I think people are, generally inherently pretty great Um, but i do think it means that we do have inherently a problem obeying god and walking with god and so i think what he's pointing to here is he's saying look since adam sinned something broke in the equation and it wasn't because people did the wrong thing there was just a disconnect from god and that disconnect Caused us to die, caused us to fall into sin, caused us to do the sins, not just be disconnected, the sin. But he's saying, look, the good news is, right, and this is the key, right? We really need to get this. He says, the free gift, so this grace, is not like the trespass, the sin, what Adam ate. For if many died through the one man's trespass. So just to clarify, a lot of people use this as a get out of clause. If many died through Adam's trespass, how many died? everyone right i mean like if many died because of adam's sin everyone so it's it, it, a lot of people go well many you know it could mean a lot of people or some people it's like no well if many died through adam well everyone's died maybe you take away you know prophet got whisked up into heaven and you know maybe enoch walked up into heaven with god maybe you could take out two people right but many have died i think it's, a, it's an all-encompassing it's everyone has died because of adam much more have the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus, abound, uh, abounded for the many. So that many is linked to the many of Adam's sin. So he's saying Adam sinned and it made many in this sinful state and they, they got lost into this sinful world. But when Jesus was righteous, it abounded to the many. And it's the same everyone. everyone. It's, it's not as saying just a few people okay it's, it's an all-encapsulating phrase and it goes on it says and the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass so god judging that one sin brought condemnation but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification See so in that free gr- grace it applies to all sin and brings justification to all for if because of one man's sin death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man jesus therefore as one sin led to the condemnation for all men so jesus when adam sinned everyone ended up condemned one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men and that's again all all means all in the greek i looked it up and it means all so all men were screwed in Adam, but all men are justified and have life in Jesus. So it's this very powerful message. But what he's saying here is, you guys have this world view of like, oh, you're sinning, so you need to fix your life and sort yourself out because you're far from God. And you're doing really well, so you'll be fine. And I'm doing not bad, so I think I'm doing okay. And and what we do is we look around to decide who's in, who's out, who's sinful, who's righteous, who's holy, who's not, and He's saying, no, 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 we don't have the luxury of that. If we're identifying in Adam, we're all screwed. If you identify in Jesus, we're all good. So who are you going to identify yourself in? Who's bigger, Jesus or Adam? And that's his question. And it's a good question, right? If in one person, Adam, he screws everything up, one person, Jesus, you would expect him to do at least a good enough job that it would match Adam, right? Right? for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Again, many, so how many? All were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Again, all will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where the sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so it's important, we'll talk about the law um, probably tomorrow, Um, but the, the purpose of the law was to make it worse which is really like crazy. You don't hear that in Sunday school, right? But the purpose of the law was it came to increase the sin. It made it worse. But where that sin got worse, grace abounds all the more. So that as sin reigns in death, grace might also reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And um, We'll look at Romans 6 in a bit, but I want to just touch on this a lot because this is something that we really struggle with in in Christianity a lot of time is to truly see ourselves as righteous, to truly see ourselves as holy, to truly see ourselves as perfected Um, because we still have the same view as the Jews. It's all about what I do. So, yeah, God might say you're righteous and I get out of bed and I'm like, I'm good so far. But give me 20 minutes and I've thought something terrible. Give me an hour and I've probably done something horrific. Give me by the end of the day and I've done so many things that are terrible that I definitely can't look in the mirror and say, I'm righteous because I'm not. I'm filthy, rotten, crappy sinner. That's how I feel. And it all boils down to we have the same view as the Jews. We're living in the old covenant rather than the new. We're living under a view of what I do is more important than what Jesus did. And so... In the same way, he's saying, look, it's not about what you do. You're identifying with what you're doing, but I want you to know your sin was never about what you did. It was always about who's your dad. And before, your dad was Adam. You, you, You lived in that world of Adam, apart from God, running from God, choosing to live from the tree of the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. And so anytime you are living in that, knowledge of good knowledge of evil you you fall into this place of being at odds with god a, a war with god but you can choose to be a son of jesus and falling in that um bloodline and and so If you fall into that place in the same way that, you know, so we teach this actually quite well in the church sometimes, right? So we teach the first half really well. So you hear all the time, like the pastor will say, well, here's the thing. You can be a good guy. You know, you can, uh, you know, pay your taxes on time. You can gift to charity. You can help old ladies cross the street. You can, you know, love your wife and love your kids. But you're still a filthy, rotten sinner. If you don't know Jesus, you know, and they preach that part really powerfully, right? And it's like, look, it's not about what you do. You're still a crappy, rubbish sinner. And they preach it powerfully, right? But then what's funny is when you accept Jesus and he says, you're righteous, we go, you're righteous in Christ, but if you screw up, you're a filthy, rotten sinner, right? We go straight back over here. And so it seems Adam is much stronger than doing good, because if I do good, it's not enough to make me... A righteous person i'm still a sinner and i agree like that's a powerful um thing that's ingrained in us I, absolutely I, I don't disagree with that but what's funny is when we're in jesus all of a sudden our sin is more powerful than jesus because it can take us right back to adam and i just don't see how that's possible because if we were called sinful regardless of what we did surely when god calls us righteous it's not based on what we do either this is why you know in corinthians it says that God made him who knew no sin righteous because he who was righteous, uh, sorry, God made him who knew no sin sinful. Jesus who knew no sin became our sin so that we who knew no righteousness could become righteous. It's not about what we do. We are given the righteousness of Jesus. And so whether we do good or do bad, irrelevant in God's eyes. And this is a huge deal for, like, this group that would be listening to this would be like, wait, this is really not okay, right? Because now you've taken away their system, their structure for knowing how good I am, how well I'm doing. Am I really a good Jewish boy or a bad Jewish boy? What's my hierarchy in this whole system? And God says, look, it's not about what you do. It's about whose you are. Um, i've got a friend who gives uh, this analogy it's a bit weird okay but uh bear with me this guy called john and um he says you know this is what this is kind of how we work it out is um we we kind of um create this imagine imagine you're an onion okay weird analogy like i said right you just get there i give you a second boom right you're an onion okay and I don't know if you have this saying in Germany, but we have um, a saying of peel back the layers of an onion. You know, there's so many layers to an onion that you can peel one layer and then you can peel another and it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, But what we often do in Christianity is we look at this process of um, cleaning ourselves up and becoming more righteous, becoming more holy. And so we, um, we look down at our lives and we go, oh, look at all this stuff i've got i've got these anger issues and so we we start working on our anger issue we peel back that layer and we get rid of our anger and we're like oh there you go i'm a bit more righteous right i've got bit, got rid of some sin and we look down and we go oh jealousy oh dan doesn't have jealousy issues right see what i did there and, and so we start working on our jealousy and we start oh, <laughs> and we get rid of it and we're like ah, oh, good right oh Lust. I knew that one was gonna come up, right? And so we go, Oh, I've got to work on my lust. And we start working on our lust and we look, oh she's pretty. Oh damn it. Right, okay, working on my lust and right and then we join a group with like four other guys who all struggle with lust and we work on each other's lust with each other and right like, but we're 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 trying to clean ourselves up and we get rid of our lust eventually by some miracle, right? And we go, Oh wow, I'm so much more righteous, right? And then you look down and you go, Oh, more anger, right? And what's the problem when you peel back layers of an onion? What are you expecting to find? More, more onion, right? It's just onion the whole way down. Like, you can't peel back, like... And I think what happens a lot of time is when we make it about what we do, we fail to actually fix the issue. And actually, the fruit of bringing that about, this, this tar- bringing about crap in our life and, and bad fruit in our life, it comes from a bad belief system. It comes from a bad place and originally. And if we don't deal with that, we're just picking bad fruit off a tree. You pick bad fruit off a tree you've not dealt with the issue that the tree's bring in about bad fruit. You pull all the bad fruit off a tree, what's it going to bring out next year? Probably bad fruit. There's probably actually something wrong with the tree. And so you might want to get new fertilizer. You might want to treat it. I don't know what you do. I'm not a tree surgeon. You might need a tree surgeon, right? But the problem is certainly not the fruit. The fruit are just, it's showing you there's a problem. And I think a lot of time we work and trying to clean ourselves up and do But actually the reason we have bad fruit is because there's something going on. It's it's, it's, it's beliefs that are, are not right. It's beliefs in an old system. And that's not what Christianity is about. So if we, in fact, if we go on to read in Romans 6, Paul goes on and it's really interesting. Because he's basically set up this whole thing and the Jews are probably freaking out at this point, right? Because he's saying look, it's not about what you do, you know, it's all good, it's like, you're righteous in Jesus, you're righteous, don't freak out about what you do, just trust that and, you'll, and righteousness will flow. And he immediately goes okay these are Jews they're going to be freaking out I'll answer the question they have in their head so the, he he asks, asks a hypothetical question and answers it. but the hypothetical question is what should we say then are we to continue to sin so that grace can abound right because where there's more sin there's more grace and he's like and I love the J.B. Phillips translation of this verse 2 he says don't be so stupid how can a dead person sin and you're like question who's the dead person right because this is the first time he just mentions how can dead people sin and you're like who's dead? It's a really weird answer. He says, don't be so stupid. How can a dead person still sin? And he says, or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Like, I encourage you, read through Romans 6 and read about how many times you're dead. Like, it just says it again and again and again. You know, just in Romans 6, it mentions 18 times you are dead. (laughs) It's pretty crazy. Tiny little chapter, and it says you are dead, or variations of you are dead, 18 times. You are baptized into his death. You were buried with him by baptism into his death. In order that Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might be walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in his death, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to that sin for one who has died has been set free from sin now if we have died with christ we believe that we also live with him we know that christ being raised from the dead will never die again death no longer has dominion over him for the death he died he died to sin once for all but the life he lives he lives to god so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to god in christ jesus let's pause there for a second but like Paul's kind of throwing out some pretty controversial stuff. He's saying, you're dead, right? I mean, and people are probably looking around as this, this letter's been read out and going, mm, pretty pretty, uh, good smelling, good looking dead people here, you know? Um, but what is he saying? He's saying, look, in somehow, okay, in, in some mystical way, when Jesus hung there on a cross and died, your old self, your old life, that life that was found in Adam died on a cross too. Something new came about. And actually, if you don't allow yourself to believe that your old self died with Jesus, your new self will never live with Jesus. You have to let that part die so that you can be alive in Christ. And so he says, again, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you were buried, you were baptized into his death, You're you're dead, you're dead, you were crucified, you were nailed to that cross. Like again and again and again, he's saying it. You've got to acknowledge you died so that you might live. And It's really huge because Jesus doesn't see you based on what you do. God doesn't see you based on what you do. He sees you based on who you are. You are this new creation. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about this new creation. He says, I can't even see things according to what they were. He says, I no longer see people according to the flesh. He's not even talking about Christians here, which is interesting. He's talking about people, worldwide, everyone. I don't see them according to the flesh, what they do, I see them having been reconciled with the Father. He says, all things have passed away and all things have become new. And this word for new, he says, you've become a new creation. This word new is the word neos in the Greek. And there's two words, um, or sorry, it's the word kynos, sorry, in the Greek. and There's two words for new in the Greek. And oftentimes they'll use the other words, kynos. Uh, flipping out my brain, it's not working today, neos. And Neos just means like new in kind, new new in time. Uh, or sorry, new in time, yeah. And so like an example might be, maybe you have um, uh, a pair of beat up, you know, old Nike Airs or something. And you go, man, these are falling apart. I need some new, new shoes. And what you would say if you meant uh, Neos shoes, you would go into the Nike store and you buy exactly the same pair of Nike Airs. But they'd be new, right? So they look much nicer, they feel much better, but it's exactly the same model, exactly the same color, it's exactly the same, it's just new. But Paul doesn't use that word when he describes you are a new creation. And that's actually what most Christians often think about themselves is, in Jesus, I'm a brand new, shiny creation and I get to try again. The problem is, what happens to that pair of Nike falls apart eventually, it gets crappy, it gets dirty, it gets... Uh, rubbish, and I I need a new pair again at some point. But Paul doesn't say you've become a neos creation. He says you've become a kinos creation. And kinos is really interesting because it's new, not just in time, it's new in time, but it's new in kind. It's new in quality. It's new in every aspect. Like, have you ever seen... ever seen like a car drive down the road and you've never seen a car like that you know maybe it's a brand new like i remember when i first saw the bmw like i8 you know that like electric bmw and i was like whoa that's new like i was just like it doesn't look like any car on the road it like looks cool it's like high tech it's like it's fancy i'm like that is new it's not like a bmw 3 series or a ford focus you know it's completely different and so maybe the analogy would be if you said you had a 2005 Ford Focus and you said, I'm going to get a Neos car, you come back with a 2016, or what year are we in? 2017 Ford Focus. It's the same car. It's just new. Maybe it has a few new features as well. But if you took that Ford Focus into the dealer and says, I'm going to get a Kynos car, you come back with a prototype Austin Martin from the next Bond movie. You know, it's not, no one else even has seen it yet. It's completely different. It is not the same type at all. And this word kynos, when Paul talks about it, when he says you've become a new creation, you've become something that has never been before. You are completely different. You are a completely new creation. And so it's not that you die and you get a second chance. I'm so thankful that God did not give us a second chance. Like I hear that all the time. Oh, praise God for second chances. No, if you got a second chance, let's not kid ourselves. We'd screw it up straight away right? I mean, what chance are you on? I bet you're not on your second chance anyway, are you? Like, right? I mean, if we were doing chances, I'm on like five billion and one, you know, like, I mean, I have used up a lot of chances, but that's not what God does. He doesn't polish you up and say, oh, you're a brand new pair of trainers, try better. Because the truth is we ruin the trainers pretty quickly, you know, or you're a brand new car, you know, try better. Soon enough, like things fall apart. He's saying, I have made you completely new and different. And it's not uh, I've given you a second chance in Ad- Adam's identity. It's a, I have created you completely afresh again in Jesus's identity. You are righteousness. You're not sinful. You don't find your identity in sin. You don't find your identity in being at odds with God. You find your identity in righteousness. You find your identity in being with God. And so going back to the onion I- analogy, uh, like, you know, it's like we're no longer peeling back all these layers of the onion. What we're peeling back is layers of something much more beautiful. And perhaps we're a brand new onion or this brand new thing. And we look down and we go, instead of working on our sin and peeling back our sin, we look down and go, wow, I'm righteous. What the heck is in here? And maybe we peel back a layer and we go, whoa, the fullness of God. And you peel back another layer and go, wow, healing power. And you peel back another layer and you go, whoa, joy unspeakable. And you peel back another layer and you go, peace that passes understanding. And you see, Christian uh, discipleship, Christian uh, maturity, Christian growth is not working on your shit and your sin sorry, people listening on the tape It's not working on your, your sin. it's discovering your righteousness. That's what it's all about. It's discovering just how amazing am I. And it's not to make you proud or big-headed or any of that sort of stuff. Because let's face it, it was nothing to do with you. That's the beauty of it. It's literally nothing to do with you. <laughs> it's all him. He gave you it as a gift for free. You get to say, oh, I don't deserve this. But man, it's awesome. Let's play with this and see where it goes. Because the old person is dead, the new person's is alive. And what we honestly do, we do it again and again and again and again. Let me read you this. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. What he's saying there is he's saying, look, you still have the choice if you want to sin. You can live as though you're dead still as, as the dead person. He says, but if you present yourself as someone that has died and now is alive and new, then your instruments, your hands, your feet, your mouth, it's no longer going to be sinful. It's going to be righteous. Live as a righteous person and you'll produce righteous fruit. And so, you know, I know plenty of Christians that, yeah, they believe that Jesus died and rose again, but they don't believe that they are dead, and so they're dragging around their dead corpse, that sinful self, they're going, oh, I'm just a filthy, rotten sinner, and you know what? If you believe you're a sinner, you'll sin by faith. You'll be really good at sinning, and I know lots of people are, myself included. When I believe I'm a sinner, I'm really good at sinning, and it's no surprise I produce sin, because like, of course, as a man believes in his heart, so is he. If you believe you're a sinner, you'll sin. Um, And a lot of people, what they do is they dig up that corpse, that dead person, and they pick them up and they clean up the mud off their face and they try and brush off the clothes. Maybe they put a new suit on it, you know? Maybe a nice hat and cover up some of the hair that's falling out. Uh, maybe put some makeup on so you can't see that the face is all sagging and dead. Uh, maybe spray a bunch of deodorant or cologne to try and cover the dead body spirit smell. And we stick it on the front row and we go, look at, look at me, I'm like, I'm cleaned up, I'm good, I'm great. And what we're doing is we're cleaning up our old sinful self ourselves. We're trying to do it ourselves. And that's not what God calls us to do. He doesn't call us to do that. He calls us to let that self die, to be dead, to be buried. Leave it there and live in this newness of life, this new creation. Because that, we don't have to do anything to clean up, to present, to, to try and make good enough for God. It is good enough for God. And the more we believe it, the more we walk in it. Paul talks in Philippians. I'm really fascinated by how Paul talks about it. But this is a guy who is the best of the best of the best in Judaism. Right. He had the best training. He was really on it. He talks about how he was um, being uh, trained to be the, the head of the head, you know, like the, the top of the top in the pharisaical community. Like he was going to be it because he knew what it was about. And he says this phrase in, um, in Philippians, he says, look, I counted everything that was gained to me as loss. He says, all my good stuff I counted. And he says this word as skybalon which is the Greek word for Crap, excrement, it's actually a a curse word. You wouldn't use it normally. In our language, it would be shit. He says, but but listen closely to what he says. He says, everything that was good that I did, I count it as crap. Not what was bad. He says, everything I did that was good, I count it as crap he says because that is a righteousness that comes from man rather than the righteousness that comes from God he says there are two righteousnesses there is one that comes from us trying to do good and there's one that is given to us as a free gift that causes us to do good and he says anything I tried to do that was good he says I count it as against my walk with God because it is it builds us up and it it builds this false sense of security that I am good enough I can do this myself I'm okay on my own I can do this without God and God wants nothing to do with righteousness. even in the Old Testament he says to, in Isaiah he says I see your acts of righteousness as a filthy used sanitary pad a female uh, uh, menstrual uh, device, device used, tool we're all guys in the room so I'm floundering for words and I don't have any help Um, (laughs) But uh, it's not good. It's not something you put on the mantelpiece, right? It's not something you would be proud of and show the whole world, that's how great my righteousness is. God says, I, and and obviously in this culture, that was deeply shameful and disgusting and whatever. We've grown quite a bit in uh, more modern years that we're a bit more open to talk about these sort of things. But like, that was deeply shameful and, and bad. And that's how God saw Israel's acts of righteousness. He says, look, I don't care about that. That's absolutely abhorrent to me. And Paul says the same thing. I hate that stuff because I only want what God gives me as righteousness and the fruit and acts that come from that. You know, if you look at, um, in John 15, it talks about the branches attached to the vine. You remember that story? And it says, I am the vine. Jesus is the vine. You are a branch. And apart from me, no one's gonna bear any good fruit, right? And that makes a lot of sense, right? If you cut a branch off and chuck it on the floor, and you sat around waiting to see what fruit would come out of it, you'd be a bit of an idiot, right? Because a branch doesn't produce fruit. It just can't. It can't produce fruit. It just doesn't have the capacity. Uh, It needs a vine, right? It just needs to be grafted into the ground. And Jesus says, as long as you remain in me, you'll bear fruit. What's interesting is a branch doesn't do anything to produce fruit. It bears fruit. And actually, the call in the New Testament is never for you to produce fruit. I'm really intrigued by this. If you do a word study, God never asks you to produce fruit. He says, I want you to bear fruit. And there's a big distinction there. Like producing fruit is you make the fruit happen, you you make fruit. But branches can't make fruit, as evidenced by a branch on the road. Branches bear fruit. All they do is they stay there. They stay attached to the vine, and the vine... What it does is it pulls the nutrients at the ground. It generates all the different elements of it. It pushes it up and pushes through the, vi- the branch and brings about fruit. The branch just stays there. It doesn't do anything. So it's just really important that we as Christians recognize it's in resting in God, resting in our righteousness that we produce good fruit. Well, we don't produce it. We bear it. And actually when we're trying to produce fruit, we're actually going against god and that's a really terrifying thought especially to these people the original hearers of this message right because they're fixated on producing good fruit we do good fruit because that's how we are proved as god is pleased with us right god is pleased with us because we do good things and paul and the the message of the gospel and, and a key message of this this passage in romans is saying it's not about you producing good fruit it's about you bearing good fruit. It's about you resting in God and letting him produce fruit in you. Even if you look at the Bible, it's the fruit of the spirit God wants in us, right? That's what God would love to see bear in us, like right? Galatians. But who's the fruit of? Is it the fruit of you? No. So God's not interested in your capacity to develop love or kindness or peace. God's interested in his love and his kindness and his peace being born in you, being brought about through you. You are to rest in him and rest in your righteousness and he'll bear the fruit. And I think this is the the danger of focusing on works is the right works only come through faith. And you're you're only going to see good fruit come from people that are resting in Jesus long-term. You might see good fruit initially, you know, you might have a tree that produces a good, few good apples, but if it's if it's in bad soil, before long it dries up all the nutrients. It's it's not able to do what it does, and it starts to bring about bad fruit. And maybe before long, it stops bearing fruit at all. And I think that's what happens when we try and do it ourselves. When we try and do it in our own strength, we want to be people that are just resting in Jesus, resting in Him, allowing Him to bring about that good fruit, and and trusting that we are righteous. You know, before if 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 before in Adam. Um, Imagine if you threw a stick in the river, right? What way does it flow? The same way as the river, right? And so I think I almost see it as a shift in the river's direction. In that, before we could try and do all these good things and try and do what we wanted, but actually we were going against the stream. You know, you were swimming against the stream because inherently we just were pulling away from God. We wanted to be disobedient. We wanted to do it in our own efforts. I want to do what's right. I want to avoid what's wrong. It was all our own effort to do that knowledge of good and evil. And we're swimming against this current, trying to do it in our own strength. And actually, when we accept who we are, that we are the righteousness of Christ, that Jesus has made us righteous, that Jesus is on our side, and actually Jesus flows through us, all that happens is we keep swimming, sure, at times, but to be honest with you, we can stop if we want, because the river's flowing our way. We're going that way, whether we like it or not. And you know what? We can turn around and swim against the current if we want. We can really try and screw up. (laughs) And at times we have bad fruit, we do. But more often than not, the bad fruit is evidenced by your faith, not by your actions. The action is